0: Well, we're going to continue in our science series today, and we're looking at the story that Gemma brought to life so wonderfully of Jesus walking on water. Well, I wonder how many of you have got to the beach this this, this summer. Anybody been to the beach? Yeah, a few, a few. I know, you know, here in the UK, we, we tend to call it the seaside because you can't really rely on what the beach is going to be like. Sometimes it's like we saw in that video, it's, it's sort of a pile of rocks, really. Um, I certainly grew up knowing, knowing beaches like that, not like Barbados or Miami, no. I went to Worthing for my holidays when I was a kid. My grandparents lived there and we would go, we'd be sent there, me and my brother, often for a couple of weeks In the summer, and we'd be in the sea and swimming, and we'd be there on the pebbles, you know, with a picnic and a rug, and the day would just be spent by the seaside. But now I'm a bit older and wiser. And actually, I don't really like swimming in the sea that much. I'm a bit nervous of the waves and the currents and, and that bit where you're going along and suddenly there's a big dip and so you're out of your depth. You know, you know, that kind of thing that can happen. And also, I get seasick when I'm on on a boat of any kind. So I know I wouldn't really want to be in this story. I would be huddling in the boat, feeling really grotty and scared. And the reality is now we know that the sea is dangerous, don't we? I mean... Over the last couple of years, we've just seen on our televisions those tragic stories of huddles of people coming across the Mediterranean in all kinds of boats, and often those stories ending in tragedy. So I was I was so inspired and delighted when I heard about... ...Yusra Mardini, the Olympic swimmer with the refugee team. I don't know if you saw her story. But she was a swimmer in Syria. She trained in Damascus under the most difficult circumstances. Her swimming pool was bombed out eventually. And she decided to flee the country and come to Europe. And so she found herself in one of those boats. Twenty people in a little rubber dinghy... in the middle of the Mediterranean, coming to Europe. And after a while in their journey, the motor on board died. And out of the 20 of them that were on on the boat, only three of them could swim. And so her, her sister, and another woman jumped into the water, and they pushed and pulled that boat to shore. She was 18. She swam for three hours pulling and pushing a boat and bringing them to safety. I mean, what courage, what amazing resourcefulness that she was willing to do that. And you know, in our story, I think the disciples, they were fishermen, some of them. I think they were that kind of people. They were rowing and rowing. They were doing their best to survive and get to the shore. But I think they came to a point where they felt hopeless, and that they needed someone else to rescue them. Well, I'd like to give you a little bit of background to the story before we go any further. This story is also in Matthew 14 and in Mark 6 and you know often in the gospels that's the four books in the bible Matthew Mark Luke and John which tell the stories of Jesus life and teaching there are often repetitions the same story is told several times over and in each gospel they tell it from a different angle a different perspective and sometimes we sort of think oh why is that that's that's a bit confusing and they can trick contradicting one another because sometimes bits are missed out or they're said in a slightly different way but actually it's very much like how we look up the news i mean when i saw that story about yusra the olympic swimmer i think i saw it on the bbc and then i googled it i found out a bit more detail i got some different eyewitness accounts i i saw her own words and that's what we do with news stories that we're interested in we want to get all the different perspectives so we can build a bigger picture of what actually happened And that's just what we get in the Gospels. So if you read a story in one Gospel, it's always worth looking it up in another Gospel and, and seeing, well, what are the difference? And why has the author edited it in that way? What's the purpose behind it? Because John says that actually if you wrote down all the stories about Jesus, I mean, there wouldn't be a book big enough. And so John, our writer in this series, he selects his stories for a purpose, And over his whole book, he gives us seven miraculous signs that are pointing to who Jesus is. And so he writes them and he he uses the material in a a way that shows us what Jesus is like. So there are some other details in the other stories. So Luke tells us that after the feeding of the 5,000, when they go out onto the lake, it's already evening. So it was beginning to get dark. And the disciples are heading for Capernaum, which is about five miles to the west. And in the other Gospels, it says that Jesus sent them into the boat. So after the feeding of the 5,000, the people were so amazed at what happened, they wanted to make him king there and then. There was a bit of a political thing going on, and Jesus wants to dismiss that. And so he sends the disciples away, he sends the crowds away, and he goes up into the mountains to pray by himself, to reconnect with his father. It's interesting to think about that. Sometimes Jesus sends us into situations which may be difficult, even dangerous, but he knows what he's doing. We can trust him. And it was to turn out into a difficult crossing. The Sea of Galilee is below sea level and there are mountains all around. So that means that the winds blow down from the mountains around the lake and sudden storms could easily blow up. And John says that, that a a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The boat would have been about 20 to 30 foot long, held about 15 people. There would have been a sail, but once the winds got strong, they would just have had to rely on rowing. We read in Mark that Jesus starts to walk across the water at the fourth watch of the night. That would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So remember, they started off in the evening, and this is 3 o'clock in the morning. So they've been rowing in the dark across this lake for hours and hours and hours. They were getting nowhere and losing hope. There is a similar story to this earlier in the Gospels where uh, the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is with them and a storm blows up again. And if you remember, Jesus at that time was sleeping And the disciples were panicking, and they wake him up, and then he just stills the waves and the wind with a word, and all is well. So I wonder in this story, because they knew that Jesus had the power over wind and waves, whether they were saying, well, where is Jesus? Why did he send us off without him? You know, doesn't he care for us? Where is he? If only he were here... Everything would be fine. So there was fear, and I wonder if there was doubt as well. Well, you know, can we trust Jesus? Is he going to rescue us? So let's have a look at the story in John chapter 6 and see what happens. Beginning at verse 14 After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A Strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. It's an amazing story, isn't it? So just remember the context. Jesus has gone up the mountain to pray. There's a sense there of Jesus' humanity, that he's drained after a day with the crowd. He needs to be with his Father. And then the context for the disciples is fear. When they see Jesus on the water, initially they don't recognize him, or even if they do, they are scared, They're they're wondering what is happening and remember it's dark and in John when anything is dark it, it symbolizes unbelief and doubt. We all know what fear feels like don't we? as grown ups sometimes we don't want to admit it but i certainly remember as a child you know sometimes when you went to bed and you couldn't sleep and then all the shapes in the room the wardrobe the things on the bookcase suddenly looked like monsters and you know you get that scary feeling in fact, I read a story this week about a young boy and he was helping his mum get dinner ready in the evening and uh, she said to him, I want you to go out and get some potatoes from the shed. That's where they stored them in their household. And he was like, oh, I don't want to go outside. It's cold and it's dark and don't want to go to the shed. It's, there's always spiders there and everything. And she was like, no, I need them and I, I need to be doing what I'm doing. So please, I need you to go to the shed and get the potatoes. And he was still like, oh, don't want to do it. So he said, look, don't worry. Jesus will be with you. Jesus will be there in the shed with you. It's going to be fine. You know like what mums are like. Sometimes we say things. So the little boy goes down to the garden, down to the shed opens the door of the shed. It's really dark. There's like some yucky cobwebs on the corner and he really doesn't want to step in. So he sort of calls out, Jesus, if you're in there, can you pass me the potatoes, please? And we know those fears, don't we? We know those moments when we're scared. You know, there's um, some researchers at the University um, of uh, in uh, America, one of the uh, Hopkins University and 30 years ago they did some research on what children were scared of the most and then they repeated it this year. So 30 years ago the top five fears that children had were animals, fear of the dark, high places, strangers and loud noises. Today the top five fears for children were divorce, nuclear war, cancer, pollution, and being mugged. I mean, that's that's the kind of world we live in, isn't it? And it's scary for us as adults, too. We worry, don't we, sometimes about our health, our future, whether we're going to have enough money at the end of the month, whether that relationship is going to turn out okay we know what it is to be anxious but whatever your fear today you know Jesus walks towards you his light can shine into that darkness and that anxiety and in a moment if you recognize who he is your perspective can change completely and you can find faith and trust again And that's what happened to the disciples. But John sort of ends it quite suddenly. In Matthew's gospel, we read this, Matthew 14, 33. It says this, that then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So they moved dramatically from fear to faith and then to worship. But John doesn't go there because he actually, he wants to keep us in suspense. Remember the initial readers of this gospel, they maybe didn't know anything about Jesus. And he's like teasing them almost like, who is this person that can walk on water? What do you think? So John is leaving us with that question. I mean, think about the signs that he's already described in the gospel. There's There's the turning water into wine. I mean, isn't that amazing if you just stop and think about that? It's like Jesus sped up all the seasons, water, grapes, the grapes being pressed, the juice being fermented, and then wine. That whole process he just does like that because he's the creator. Or what about that man who'd been uh, paralyzed for 38 years? His legs would have been withered and wasted. No amount of physio or rehab could have healed him. But Jesus, in a moment, got him to his feet. And that feeding of the 5, 10, 15,000, we're not sure how many people it was, from just a handful of little bits of bread and fish, And now Jesus is defying gravity. He's walking on water that shouldn't support his weight way out into a lake. These are amazing miracles. These are signs pointing to Jesus, not just as a good man, not just as a rabbi, not just as a great teacher, but Jesus as God. What about us? How do we respond to this story? It's so familiar, isn't it, to many of us. Where do we see ourselves in the story? Maybe you're in a storm right now at this moment, and things are whirling around you, and you're, you're losing faith and losing hope. Maybe everything in your world is calm and smooth, but is Jesus distant from you? Are you 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 can't quite recognize him he's sort of on the horizon of your life but you're not really connecting with him maybe you're like the disciples and you feel in your life you're just rowing you're working hard you're building a career you're doing stuff with your family you're just rowing rowing hard but it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere do you know that kind of feeling I believe today God wants to come into your situation and move you from fear to faith to worship because Jesus is truly who he says he is. In Matthew's account, we see that we have that wonderful story that as Jesus comes near the boat, Peter realizes that it's Jesus. And he says to Jesus, call me out. I want to come to you. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, he walks on water for a little while, and he is like right in the center of the miracle. And I think John doesn't put that part of the story in because he wants us to keep our focus on Jesus and not like start looking at Peter. But I felt as I was preparing that maybe there are some people here this morning where that bit is really relevant for you. Because Jesus is actually calling you out of your boat. Maybe he's calling you into leadership, into service, into ministry, into making a difference in your community. There might be just a few of you. and Jesus is saying to to you today, come out, get out of your boat, walk towards me, follow me, take that jump, that leap of faith. And if that's you today, you know in your heart Jesus is calling you to leadership, to ministry, to service. We'd love you to come and talk to us at the end of the meeting, get some prayer. We'd want to help you in that journey. I, I look back on my life, I felt that call when I was a teenager, to, to serve God, to serve the nations actually was part of what God said to me as a, as a young teenager. And, and I've been on quite a long journey with that, but I, I knew that moment. And if that is a moment for you today, please respond. Say je- yes to Jesus. Jump out of your boat. Jesus says, it is I. It's me. Don't worry, and peace comes to their boat. And you know, when Jesus comes into your boat, into your life, into your work, into your circumstances, he brings peace, he brings calm, he brings trust. But you have to be ready to to admit that you need help. You have to be willing to let him into your boat. Uh, Annie, in her, her devotional guide for this passage, says this, As we struggle with storms in our own lives, our greatest need is to recognize that Jesus is with us by his spirit. We need to bring him right into our tossing boat to ask for his help in the middle of our turmoil. He is the one who can guide us safely to shore. He is the one. He is the one who can save us and rescue us and guide us. And you know, it makes a massive difference when you know who is going to rescue you. I think if I was a swimmer and I, I got into difficulties in water, I'd want that Olympic swimmer, Yazra Medina, I'd want her to come and rescue me. I'd want her to be the same, saying, it's me, don't worry, because I know she can swim for hours and she'd rescue me and bring me safely home. If I wanted to get somewhere in a hurry, you know, it, wouldn't it be great if, I, if, if Lewis Hamilton arrived and with his Formula One car and said, it's me, don't worry, I'll get you there. If I needed help in my business, wow, wouldn't it be great if I got an email from Bill Gates saying, it's me, don't worry, you know, I'm an IT legend, the richest man in the world, I'll help you, I'll sort it for you. And, you know, I'd be really grateful, but I would also be delighted because I know Bill Gates is an amazingly compassionate person and he's spent billions on trying to cure malaria across the world. So who comes to our rescue does matter. We need someone with strength and resources and compassion. And Jesus is that person. And this sign points to his immense power. He is Lord of creation. He is Lord over wind and waves. So if he comes into our boat, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. Now, the disciples were experiencing this before Jesus died, before they knew all that he would do to rescue them and us. That he would die and be raised again and put in place everything that would be needed for our ultimate rescue spiritually. And so when I was thinking about this story, I thought, well, what you know, who is this Jesus and and how is Jesus to be portrayed? And I I thought about the, the first two chapters of the book of Hebrews. If you get chance, read them when you get home because they are a, a, a wonderful celebration of who Jesus is. So I want to just read a few verses from Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the Jesus that John is pointing to, the heir of the whole world. Jesus created the universe and he sustains it by his very words. Jesus is the exact reflection of who God is. And he is sat down in glory and majesty, superior to any angel. His name is greater than any other name. Do you see this Jesus? Do you see this Jesus this morning coming to you and your boat Maybe you feel you're in the dark. Maybe you feel you're in the storm. Maybe you feel he's distant. But he's not a ghostly figure. He's real. He's alive. Do you see him? Do you see this Jesus? You know, God has put everything under his feet. Nothing is out of his control He has tasted death for us. He has suffered for us. He gave everything for us. He was bruised and broken so that we might receive grace. We might be cleansed and forgiven. Our lives cleaned up. He suffered so that we could be made holy. Do you see him? He's here today. Do you see this Jesus? He faced the cross alone so that we could. Could become his brothers and sisters and be welcomed into his family. He shared our humanity, so he could break the power of the evil one. He could break the power of death, of our fear of death. He could move us from fear to faith and lift our hearts and heads to worship him, the faithful, merciful, everlasting high priest. He wears the victor's crown of honor and glory. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? This morning. He has been exalted. Ultimately, every knee will bow, everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see him? He's coming to you today. If you're in a storm, he wants to bring peace. If he, if he might be calling you this morning to say yes to the call to leadership and service and ministry, are you willing to let him into your boat? Will you lift your face and join with me to worship Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Let's worship Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Amen.